from WDEV in Waterbury. Welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Friday, October 20th, and what a week it's been. We start today with a review of the news, and then we're going to get quickly into the issue of wellness and an upcoming conference next week in Burlington on the subject, led by the Governor's Council, the chair of the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. That chair of that council will be here to discuss uh, the wellness conference coming up next week. Her name is Janet Franz. At 10 a.m., we're going to head to Washington to get the latest news on the House Speaker's race, uh, Israel and uh, Gaza, and all things Washington uh, with Bob Nay. Always a treat. And associate publisher, I bl- actually I believe now it's deputy publisher, of Seven Days Newspaper, Kathy Resmer is going to join us at 10.15 to review the upcoming Tech Jam Conference, which takes place at the Hula Building in Burlington. That is free, and it's a great, great gathering. That's a combination of sort of tech startup, get-together, and job fair, all wrapped into one, and it's a lot of fun. If you're thinking about changing jobs, if you need a job, if you're looking to get into the tech sector, that's the place to be this Saturday. At 10.30, uh, we will take your calls at 244-1777. We'd love to hear from you. We talked about a lot this week. Uh, we had, I got a lot of reaction to a lot of what we did this week, and it was great to have everybody so engaged. Again, the number is 244-1777. The email, if you want to email me, is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. But first, some review. President Joe Biden addressed the nation last night, and he urged Congress to approve new aid for Israel, and at the same time urged uh, urged Congress to uh, link aid to Israel with aid to Ukraine. And I found that to be a fascinating uh, effort by the president uh, to to kind of condition both together. Uh, that that and and basically what he's saying is uh, I'm not going to give up on any of this aid. And we'll get into this with Bob Nay. At 10 o'clock, but the the quote to leave you with really is where Biden said, I refuse to let Hamas and Putin win. Uh, This was a primetime address on Thursday night. If you're like me and grew up watching, uh, you know, three channels on TV and Walter Cronkite or John Chancellor, you, you know, presidential addresses have have changed over the years Uh, and less and less important as fewer and fewer viewers are watching because uh, we're all off on other cable stations or on our phone or watching Netflix or doing something else. It used to be 20 million people would gather around their TV set to watch the president, uh, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Reagan, uh, give a primetime address. Uh, Biden drew a direct link between Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the Hamas attack on Israel and called on Congress to help us defeat both threats. He appealed to Americans to think outside their borders and made the case for providing crucial aid to our allies abroad. He urged Congress to approve billions of dollars in funding for Israel and Ukraine in its ongoing war with Russia. The sweeping emergency funding request is reportedly likely to be 
$100 billion with $60 billion going to Ukraine and $10 billion going to Israel. Any funding request has to pass the Senate and the Republican-led House, which has been without a Speaker of the House for more than two weeks. I led the, on, on the way in, I, I listened to the latest news about the speaker's race. We'll get more from Bob at, at, uh, 10, but the, it, it boils down to, uh, Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, uh, who is an election denier and, uh, and the chair of the House Judiciary Committee is going to try to run, do a third ballot. He lost on the first two ballots. And interestingly, what's, you know, those of, those people out there who sound, sounded the death knell for the sort of old Republican party, the party of, of the establishment, uh, of a muscular foreign policy of small government. Um, John McClary, if you're out there listening, uh, listen up. Um, it seems that the old Republican Party kind of reared its head here, and the chairs of various committees, uh, especially the Appropriations Committee, and those who disapproved of Jordan's connection to the January 6th insurrection and riot and his, his, uh, his collusion with former President Trump on this issue – uh, they they got together and voted against Jordan, and so that means that Jordan doesn't have the votes to become the speaker. So that's kind of a fascinating. I think we all sort of kind of uh, sort of uh, gave into the notion that the far far right of the Republican Party in the House had kind of taken the place over. Well, the 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 old guard has kind of fought back here, and. Therefore, the House is at a standstill. Uh, make no mistake, the House and the Senate cannot make do any appropriation of any money for Israel and Ukraine while there is no Speaker of the House. There is an effort, and Bob will get into this, to uh, give power to the ceremonial uh, person who is presiding over the House – uh, to give him more power so that they can move legislation. But that seems to be stuck in the mud as well. So uh, now Biden sought to strike a contrast with the isolation it's used of some of his Republican rivals during his rare primetime address. Many Republican candidates who are running for president in 2024, including President Trump, former President Trump, are skeptical of U.S. military aid abroad in the aftermath, aftermath of Hamas's attack. Biden also tried to convince skeptical Americans of the importance of sending aid to allies abroad. Uh, you kind of feel like our spending billions and billions uh, on Ukraine is losing its public support a bit. Uh, to quote Biden, Hamas and Putin represent different threats, but they share this in common. They both want to completely annihilate a neighboring democracy. We cannot and will not let terrorists like Hamas and tyrants like Putin win. I refuse to let that happen. We must, without equivocation, denounce anti-Semitism. We must also, without equivocation, denounce Islamophobia. Biden was referring to the young man in Illinois who was stabbed to death 
and his mother was seriously injured in a hate crime. Um, and this is a little boy who was six years old, murdered just outside their home in Chicago. Uh, Biden used his name, Wadea, called him a proud American, a proud Palestinian American family. We cannot stand by and stand silent when this happens. So Biden's speech comes on the heels of his visit to Tel Aviv earlier this week, where he pledged solidarity with Israel in the war against Hamas. But he he took a page out of and I'd, I'd like to do a show on the parallels between our own 9-11 here in the United States and what Israel has is going through. When he was visiting the Israeli cabinet and Prime Minister Netanyahu, he said, he, he said this, I caution the government of Israel not to be blinded by rage. We are going to make sure you have what you need to protect your people, to protect your nation, to defend your nation. Uh, but Biden is warning, and this is not something the Israelis are surprised by, that as we experienced going into Afghanistan and Iraq after 9-11, it sounds easy, but as the days go on and experts in in military attacks uh, weigh in on this, it's becoming more and more clear that a traditional ground offensive by Israel going into Gaza with the notion that they can root out Hamas terrorists while while protecting innocent Palestinians is nigh impossible. And so Israel is, as Biden pointed out in his speech, is faced with a very, very difficult situation. They're in, they, they want to root out Hamas, but Hamas lives among the population there. And so they face a very difficult situation. That's a review of that situation. We'll talk more about all of this with Bob Ney at 10 o'clock. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Janet Franz, who's the chair of the Governor's Committee on Physical Fitness and Sports about the upcoming Conference on Wellness. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and it's WDEV. We're back. And we're talking about fitness and wellness. And our guest is Janet Franz. She's the chair of the Governor's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports. And she's going to talk to us about an upcoming conference on wellness. Janet Franz, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Kevin. So thanks so much for joining us. You, you have a conference coming up on uh, October 24th next week. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah. Yeah, um, we do have a conference coming up. Um, I'm uh, excited about it. I'm really uh, excited to tell our listeners about the purpose of the conference um, because it's really about wellness all year, not about one day. Um, But the conference brings together um, employers throughout the state of Vermont, um, people involved in running organizations and companies, but also human resources and um, others who are concerned about keeping employees healthy and productive. Um, coming together to share ideas um, and best practices, learn what others are doing um, to keep employees healthy and fit. And um, these uh, initiatives can range from things like flu vaccine clinics to health fairs to things like walking groups at lunchtime, 
um, crafting groups that get together to relieve stress over the break and do crafts, um, financial counseling, emotional counseling, meditation groups, health coaching, or having a room in the workplace where somebody can go and just chill out or um, pump milk for their baby or um, do some meditation, maybe take a yoga class, any sorts of activities that an employer supports to keep employees healthy, well, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, um, because they make better employees. When people feel good at work, they do better work, and they're more um, likely to show up at work. So that's what the conference is about on Tuesday, and uh, the governor's council and the governor and the Department of Health We'll be giving awards to 112 employers, Vermont employers, who are doing great things, such as I just described, to keep Vermont workers fit and healthy. That's Tuesday at the Doubletree by Hilton in Burlington, and uh, you expect hundreds. Is that right? Yeah, we have um, over 300, between 300 and 400 people registered. We are actually not taking walk-ins, so um, I'm not encouraging listeners to show up at the Doubletree. Um, we are full. Uh, there's, uh, we're at capacity, but um, I would like to encourage workers to inquire about ideas um, that they can do for their own employees or for themselves and their families to stay healthy, both during the workday and um, outside the workplace as well. And so we have that information, and anybody who is interested can go to the um, Governor's Council website, vermontfitness.org. Um, and also um, check out some resources from the Department of Health on Worksite Wellness. You have a keynote speaker. Her name is, I'm going to uh, mess up the pronunciation of her last name, Jude Smith Rochelle. Rochelle, that's right. Rochelle, Rochelle. she's uh, co-founder and chief executive officer of Abundant Sun. And uh, mm-hmm. she's going to be, she's an expert in diversity and inclusion management for leaders, companies, and community, communities. Yeah helping professionals understand their cultures better to inform effective strategies to ensure a healthy and inclusive working environment. That's a mouthful that basically she's an expert in helping uh, businesses, organizations of all kinds create a more inclusive and healthy work environment. Absolutely, because um, uh, when people feel included and uh, part of the the team, um, they are more invested in their employer and it's important for people to feel included. And justice and equity are aspects of wellness, absolutely. And so Dr. Rochelle, she is a Vermonter who uh, currently lives in Portugal, but she's coming back from Portugal to her home state of Vermont to talk to um, business leaders and community leaders and, um, and worksite wellness um, enthusiasts about how to um, incorporate justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion efforts to um, to inform a better culture at work so that um, people feel healthy and engaged and part of the workforce, um, which makes it for a more productive employee, of course. You know, Janet, I was actually at a, at a dinner at, in Killington uh, up at the ski area last night, and the CEO of Killington got up and he gave a slideshow. And one of the slides uh, that he was most proud of was that in an employer, an employee survey, uh, he said that 82% of the employees at Killington felt valued and that there was a healthy workplace. And I'm told that that is 
among the uh, all the ski resorts that are owned by the company called Powder, that that is the highest engagement of of employees across that company's uh, employee base. And I was surprised. He was pretty proud of that. And I think that's what you're talking about. Well, he should be proud of that because when people feel valued at work, um, that says a lot about the company. And you want to come to work when you feel valued. If you don't feel valued, if you don't feel important, you're not going to want to come to work. (laughs) You're not going to be invested in your employer. And, um, you know, it's important. And there are a lot of things that an employer or a manager or supervisor can do to help employees feel valued from just, you know, praising their efforts and letting them know verbally um, or by email messages or by, you know, mentions in the company newsletter that that uh, work is appreciated, but also by offering, um, you know, amenities like uh, flexible time, um, uh, letting somebody, you know, leave early to go pick up their kid from school and take them to the doctor or um, understanding ending when uh, somebody's not feeling well and, and letting them take extra time off, um, providing resources like healthy food, um, you know, during, during meetings um, and, uh, you know, uh, yeah. time together, camaraderie, activities together, um, yeah. having team meetings and, and um, retreats. Those are the kinds of things that help people feel valued and part of the team and make them want to be um, productive and to support their employers. So be, be human, be, be, making be, those efforts. Yeah. Yeah. Be human. In other words, exactly. <laughs> and you know, um, I'm a skier, so I get it when, when, uh, when you're at the ski area and the employees there are friendly and clearly are having a good time at work, you, you feel that as a customer and it makes you feel good as a customer and want to, you know, support that. And if you come to work and the employees are grumpy or if you come to a, to uh, a place of business like a ski area or, or a store or any place, a bank, and the employees are grumpy and they clearly don't want to be there, the customers feel that, and, and it's it's a bad vibe. So yeah. it behooves the employer to, to make their employees, you know, feel that they belong there and they're wanted and they're needed and they're appreciated. So kudos to Killington, and I'm uh, they're not one of the 112 getting an award this year because uh, they probably didn't submit um, – an application, but I know that Killington has been on our list in the past and they do great work. And we do have other ski resorts, Vermont ski areas that will be receiving um, kudos for their efforts. Um, I can't help but ask about COVID because the, the world of work, and I, I need to do a full show on this. The world of work has changed so dramatically. We're not in the office the way we used to be. Uh, we all went home to work at home for a while, and now we're in this sort of period of backlash where we're at home, and a lot of us really hate it. Uh, you know, you're you're at the kitchen table for breakfast, and then you stay there all day, and pretty soon the day's over, and you haven't left your house, and people are looking for that third space to kind of go get away to. Uh, so. All your employers are, are sort of trying to deal with this. They're dealing with diversity in the workplace, but they're also dealing with people who either want to come into the office or don't want to come into the office, and they're trying to figure that out, right? Yeah. I mean, the work the work landscape certainly has changed. Um, some people, uh, you know, never had the, the opportunity to work remotely. Maybe they're frontline workers. Maybe right. they're health care providers. Maybe they're um, people that need to be 
in the space where they work. So those folks, um, you know, had, I would say, the brunt of the stress yeah. from uh, the COVID work scenario. Um, but there are a lot of people, myself included, that were um, shuttered at home working. And um, some people enjoyed that and some people still enjoy that. Um, I'm fortunate that I can work on a hybrid schedule, and um, there's a lot of people that do that where they go in some days and work from home other days. But, yeah, I had coworkers um, early on in the pandemic who live in a one-bedroom apartment or a studio, and it was pretty much torture yeah. being stuck there all the time. Um, so I think people were – some people were glad to go back. I've talked to other people who are enjoying being having the, the flexibility – of um, working from home, and um, I know of others who use space, um, like co-working space, like maybe at Hula or someplace where they can uh, find an office space so they can get out of their house. Um, but it's great that employers, many employers have embraced the hybrid or remote work life, and um, I think it's here to stay. And I think a lot of Vermont employers are realizing that Employees can certainly be productive, maybe more productive, if they don't have to do that commute every day coming in and going home. Um, I work with a lot of people that travel an hour and a half, you know, from, say, Morristown to Burlington yeah. um, every day to come to work and go back. And it that's a big part of their day. So for those who can work from home, sometimes it's more productive. They can get more done. Janet Franz, tell us where we can find out. Uh, more about the conference and more about wellness and your upcoming yeah. conference on Tuesday. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to direct our listeners to the Vermont Department of Health Worksite Wellness website, which is healthvermont.gov slash wellness slash worksite dash wellness. Those are a lot of letters. So I think if you just want to Google Vermont Department of Health Worksite Wellness, you will get there. Uh, but that Worksite Wellness page has a lot of information, not just about the awards and conference on Tuesday, the 24th of October, but also um, listeners can download a Worksite Wellness toolkit that um, gives some strategies for implementing Worksite Wellness where they work, whether they work with um, just a few people in a small workplace or in a large, you know, a medium or large worksite, just some strategies that they can implement to help their, their coworkers and their colleagues um, be healthier and more productive and feel better at work. So that's the, the healthvermont.gov. Um, if you Google Vermont Health Department Worksite Wellness, you'll get there. Okay. And the Janet, thank you. The Council website is vermontfitness.org. Okay. Janet, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good luck with the conference, and we'll mm-hmm. check in afterwards. This is Kevin Ellis on Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back, and what we're going to do next is open the phones. It's been a while since we've spent a good chunk of the show taking your calls, and we're going to do that. 244-1777, please. Uh, We'd love to have your questions and your comments. There's so much news going on. I I sort of previewed it all uh, with uh, President Biden's speech to the nation. a, a, a third try by Republicans in the House of Representatives to elect a Speaker of the House. And remember, your Constitution um, 
the United States of America cannot spend any money unless it has the approval of the House of Representatives. All spending bills and legislation start in the House. So the Senate is paralyzed and cannot act on anything on its own. So until the House has a Speaker of the House, same is true in Vermont, by the way, uh, until the until the uh, House of Representatives in Washington has a Speaker, uh, they can, we cannot, they cannot act on President Biden's uh, request for assistance. So I'm reading now that, that President Biden is expected to ask Congress for $74 billion in assistance to Israel, Israel and Ukraine. So that's going to open up all sorts of interesting political uh, rivulets because among, I think, Republicans in Congress, support for our continued support of Ukraine is waning. Uh, I think support for Israel is stronger than ever at this particular moment. So uh, we're going to watch that play out. Um, now, as to uh, remember, uh, Israel has said to Palestinians living in Gaza, Get out, uh, because we are coming. Uh, which raises, uh, remember, Gaza is a place. Remember, we've done two, two segments on this, and the best thing to do is get out your map on, on the internet, because, um, get your Google Maps or Apple Maps out and just look for Gaza. It's a tiny little strip of land surrounded by Israel, and it's, uh, two million people plus and 50% of those people are children. So in response to the attack by Hamas, Israel is warning everyone in Gaza to get out. The question becomes to, to avoid being destroyed in the coming ground offensive as Israel tries to take out Hamas. The problem is those Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have nowhere to go. If you look at your map and you go south, there is a, a, a checkpoint, a crossing border, a border crossing into Egypt, and it's at a place called Rafa. And the problem is that that border crossing is closed, and the Egyptians have not allowed it to be opened. Why? Because Egypt and Israel are at odds over the details of letting innocent Palestinians cross into Egypt and how to get humanitarian relief through the Rafah crossing into Gaza. Um, among the disputes are whether to allow in fuel and how to screen convoy and any convoy coming in for arms and weapons that could help uh, Hamas in the war. So, you know, it just gets, uh, just gets more and more complicated. Um, the humanitarian situation is growing more desperate by the day. Um, the, as I said, the Rafa crossing is still blockaded territory and Egypt has not opened that crossing to aid. Um, now the United Nations has led a, a, a deal making situation, uh, to lay the groundwork to allow trucks carrying humanitarian supplies to enter Gaza. Diplomats uh, were pessimistic about it 
opening at all today because there's disagreement between Egypt and Israel. Um, now, again, I've said many times, this this issue is, uh, I am way over my pay grade and I'm really relying on experts and um, I've got the New York Times open in front of me. Um, I read Tom Friedman's, you know, I, here's a, here's a reading list, I guess. You know, if you, if you want to get up to speed on this issue and follow it along, and I must say, I've spent so much adult time of my adult life ignoring this issue, uh, because it's just seems so intractable. But finally, with this issue, with this attack by Hamas on Israel, it really forced my hand, really forced me to, to do the reading and, and so that, so I recommend to you, uh, to read Tom Friedman's columns in the New York Times. Tom Friedman's won at least two Pulitzer Prizes, uh, for his columns and books. I know he wrote a, a Pulitzer Prize winning book called Arab and Jew. Um, it, 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 uh, he's really a, a, a sort of down the middle guy who is you know, expert at the politics. He knows all the players. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's good to read, uh, Friedman. Um, and there's a guy named Matt Duss. Uh, he is, I would call him a little bit not so pro-Israel, a little bit more Palestinian, uh, as a Palestinian supporter. I, I simplify that though, uh, because you know, I, I, I've never interviewed Matt Duss. He has agreed to come on the show next week. Um, and he has, he is a former, uh, uh, t- uh, what, uh, advise, foreign, sorry, foreign policy advisor to, uh, Bernie Sanders. And, uh, he's been writing and talking about this issue for a long, long time. Uh, so, you know, you remember, you've got Egypt, you've got Saudi Arabia, you've got Syria, you got Israel, you got the Palestinians. Um, this is, this is intractable at the moment. Some people are, are saying, are comparing it to two other international situations. South Africa in the time of apartheid and the, and Ireland, uh, during what were known as the Troubles, in which, uh, there was, you know, the, the Irish Republican Army had a political arm that was, um, trying to govern and take power in Northern Ireland away from the British, but they had a military wing, like Hamas, uh, which engaged in terror attacks on British soldiers, <clears throat> British politicians, most notably, with, the assassination of uh, Lord Mountbatten, which, oh gosh, was he the Queen's cousin? Might have been, been the Queen's brother-in-law, I can't remember. But the IRA took him out. And uh, the, 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 the kind of hatred, religious and historic hatred that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years that exists in Ireland and, and England, uh, same thing's going on here. And... Biden go, Biden went over there. He only spent seven hours, uh, in Tel Aviv. But, uh, and I gotta say, flying in there, uh, I, Peter Baker in the New York Times wrote a great story 
the other day about being on that plane with Biden and the security protocols that were in place to keep the president and his traveling party safe from potential attacks by Hamas rockets or other other terrorism. They were they were given the reporters on the plane on Air Force One with Biden were given little index cards with instructions on what to do if the plane came under attack. And then and then other instructions about what to do if they're on the tarmac. Biden's getting off the plane. Uh, the reporters were gathered under the wing of the plane and the little card of instruction said what to do in case a rocket attack uh, hit at the airport. The instructions, according to Peter Baker's story, were um, to lie down on the tarmac uh, and and wait it out. And I guess that was cold comfort. Uh, other he he pointed out that other instructions said, you know, race for uh, armored vehicles. Um, and then any and he pointed out that that went against other instructions in the past to not get in cars because those very cars could be the target of the terrorist attacks. So, again, uh, an intractable situation, uh, but we'll stay with it. There's still so much to learn. We're going to take a break. We're back, and we're going to come back to Vermont for for a few minutes here. Again, the phones are open, 244-1777. It's Friday morning and soon to be afternoon. So we welcome your calls at the end of the week to on anything that we did or talked about this week. Um, I have to draw your attention to VT Digger and uh, the latest in the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO, disgraced CEO of, um, of a hedge fund and uh, who, who funneled Millions and millions of dollars into um, into various political campaigns around the country. Among them, the campaign of our Congresswoman, U.S. Representative Becca Ballant. And Bankman Freed is the, the the disgraced crypto billionaire. If you haven't, if you're uh, not reading the newspapers, uh, he is on trial in New York City for fraud, or for defrauding his investors in his in his fund. Um, now, Bankman Fried's defense is we were what we were doing was making as much money as possible so that we could then give it away, give it away in a in a in a in a term called effective altruism. Uh, and there's an executive for Bankman Fried named Nishad Singh. And two days uh, during the uh, congressional campaign that Ballant won over her opponent, Lieutenant Governor Molly Gray. Nishad Singh gave a massive contribution to a a fund called the LGBTQ Plus Victory Fund, which is a political action committee uh, whose goal was to elect pro-LGBTQ candidates around the country. They were working with a political consultant named Michael Sadowski. And guess what? This always happens in a trial. The texts between Sadowski and and Singh have been revealed uh, as part of Bankman Freed's trial. Uh, so they lay bare what Lola Dufort in uh, Digger today says calls uh, the cynical scheme behind a million dollar pro Becca Ballant ad blitz in last year's house race. 
And uh, Singh who pleaded guilty to several, several criminal charges earlier this winter, including campaign finance fraud. He is cooperating with federal prosecutors in the hopes of avoiding jail time. Bankman-Fried was one of the largest and most sought-after donors in Democratic politics. And both Ballant and her chief rival in the race, Molly Gray, had met with representatives of Bankman-Fried, um, and including Bankman-Fried's brother, Gabe. I know this is getting complicated. And back in 2022, the group, which purported to support pandemic prevention measures, would ultimately endorse Ballant over Gray. Now, this was written about during the race. This is not this is not a completely new revelation, but suffice to say that Rebecca Ballant received a million bucks um, from a for a well, it's wrong to say that she received a million bucks. She received lots of campaign contributions. The LGBTQ fund spent million bucks running TV ads supporting ballot over gray. And as, as Michael Sadowski, the campaign consultant said in a, in a text that's now been revealed, she's been good on pandemics, put stuff on her website. Sadowski explained to Singh about ballot. Molly Gray said she wouldn't do anything on it. This gives you a window in the world of big time politics and how Money is raised to get it, get elected. It's ugly. And, uh, I know a fair bit of, about this uh, on a Vermont level and, and some on the Washington DC level. And it gets, the more you dig into it, the more cynical it becomes. Sadowski at the time was running Protect Our Future, which was a super PAC funded by Bankman Freed. But Protect Our Future couldn't pay pro for pro ballot ads directly. So quote, Gray got Ballant to commit to denouncing super PAC spending at the debate, he wrote, so he would take a neg, so we would, we would take a negative press hit. In general, you being the center left face of our spending will mean you give to a lot of woke, and then there's an expletive there, for transactional purposes. So the, the Gray camp was outraged by this, and, uh, Gray criticized Ballant during the campaign about it, uh, Digger wrote about this, and um, it's this this issue goes on and on. Digger reached out to Gray on Thursday. She attached to her email a picture of a cardboard placard that had been left for her in the staging room she was assigned before a July candidate at Vermont Law School. Uh, you know, it just we're re, we continue to relitigate this thing, and more texts are going to come out. Let's go to the phones uh, and talk about this and other issues with Rama in Williamstown. Rama, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, hey, listen. I, I, yes, I voted for Bailent. I'll put that up there. I'm not like a hoop-de-doop-de fan of any particular politician. So I say this just from the view of somebody that likes a little bit of straightness and honesty. And, and you started off with that bit about how Bailent received a million bucks from this guy. Yes, you kind of sort of corrected yourself, but it didn't even come close. Nobody gave her campaign a million dollars. Yeah. It just didn't happen, period. That's right. Absolutely false statement on anybody's place to even imply that occurred, my opinion. The yeah. other thing I want to say that I really think goes beyond silly in this whole story 
is this bit about she put stuff on her website for other people to copy and use in her favor. Yeah. And I hope folks think that through for a moment, that she put something on her website that she wanted repeated. Okay? So that's that's like the silliest complaint in the world. That's like what every advertiser, I do it with my own personal website. I put little stupid stuff up there, okay? Yeah. I, and I want people to repeat some of the stuff on my website. So... Anyway, thank you. Yeah, well, Rama, stay on the line okay. for a minute because you, you raise a good point. You're right. I, I caught myself because it, the thing gets so complicated. You're right. Ballant did not receive a million bucks. A super PAC, an LGBT plus super PAC received the million bucks. Now they made a contribution of $2,900, um, to Ballant's office, which Ballant has said that she is going to return and the campaign is fully cooperating with prosecutors. That was said back in April. I don't know. Let's see. Well, I'm going balance campaign directly received $26,100 from Bankman Freed and his associates. Uh, so that's the amount we're dealing with directly. And the million bucks was spent on TV advertising and digital advertising by a super PAC who favored balance. So, that's the facts as we know them. Um, okay, but let, let's let's remember who the victims are and who the perp is. Okay, go ahead. And the Balint campaign is just as much a victim of all of this as you and I are. She didn't want this type of controversy. She had no desire for it. It does nothing but hurt her. She, I would argue, in in that campaign where she beat out Gray, she didn't need that million bucks. It wouldn't have made a difference. She because the end numbers just so showed such a gap that uh, she were, probably was going to beat out Gray under any circumstance. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great, it's it's a great point. But I've got to point out in the. I think we're just sitting around the campfire now, uh, arguing about politics. Isn't this fun? The, the, when you're in the heat of the battle, Rama, if you're Ballant or Gray, I'm not taking a side here. I'm not sure you know, uh, I mean, both of them went down to Washington and, and, uh, and solicited campaign contributions from these folks. They wanted the money. And if I gotta say, if I'm in the heat of the battle, Ballant or Gray, I want the money too, right? I've run a handful of local house races, yeah, and they've been fairly low budget, mostly because it's hard for me to raise, and uh, they've been, I would say, seven fifty to seventy five percent self funded and all. So yeah, when you're out there and you're spending your time and efforts and your own money out there, you're grateful for whatever comes your way. And I think the discussion of the financing system, it's long, it's complex, and it should be shortened to an easy thing that, you know, we publicly finance this sort of stuff. However, having said that, I just really wanted to call in because some of the misconception comes from how we discuss this stuff and not from how it really is. So let's remember, bailing campaign, you and I, we were all, and the Gray campaign, we were all victims of a crime that was perpetrated by a fairly well-defined set of individuals. And we finally know what their motivations were, and none of them. None of their motivations amounted to anything other than how to get more money, which means they contributed campaign funds for the exact same reason that 
Enron or Exxon or whoever gave money to politicians gave millions, if not billions, to the political system. So, you know, but but let's let's be easy on bailment on this because she's a victim, too. Got it. Rama, thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to join Bob Nay in Washington, D.C. about all things Washington. Uh, We'll keep a lot of this, this discussion going. Rama, thanks for the call. I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on the Friendly Pioneer, WDEV. 